right in front of him. Crowder looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome to a jam-packed Monday, April 10th, Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Remember, please subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice. Five-star reviews only. Five stars like Kyle Anderson probably wanted to give Rudy Gobert five stars to the back after what happened. In, in or like he was game. seeing in his face after he got punched in the head and probably had a little bit of a headache there going. Five stars, five. you know, the, the Looney Tunes spinning in his eyes a little bit there. Five stars, the opposite of what I would give any Joe Rogan comedy, comedy special, which Rudy Gobert also apparently went to recently. Please remember. Busy subscri- week. Busy week for, for young Gobert. Uh, remember, please subscribe, hit that notification bell on our YouTube channel. Please like this video if, if you dig what we're doing over here. And thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing. So NBA playoffs, they're set. They're coming in full this week with the playing tournament and the playoffs for real next week. In today's show, we're going to talk about our instant reactions to the playoffs slash the playing in, going to rapid fire through some matchups, players with the most at stake, teams with the most at stake, all of that stuff. And we're also going to go through our NBA um, awards. We got some fun stuff to dive through there. And so again, a jam-packed episode. Brennan, we should start, though, with the, the Minnesota Timberwolves and, and their We Sunday did already, afternoon. I think, a little bit there. Yeah, we made some jokes about it, or at least I you know, attempted to make some gallows humor about it, which is, to me, like the appropriate humor for this. So it starts with Rudy Gobert getting sent home by the team after he punched Kyle Anderson in the face during a timeout. Lip readers would tell you that Kyle Anderson called him a word that um, ends in itch, and then Rudy Gobert responded in such. Then, mm-hmm. there were a rising star, a player they desperately need, I think, to, to have any make any sort of noise in the playoffs. Jaden McDaniels punches the wall in frustration, heads out in the tunnel, reportedly has a broken hand, this feels like a spiritual successor to Kevin Love in the knuckle push-ups when he broke his hand all those years mm-hmm. ago, if you remember that. This just feels mm-hmm. like kismet in the universe, Brendan, of, of you know, chicanery for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, you know, Ant's awesome, so this, they end up winning this game, but like the headline of this game is that Rudy Gobert punched a teammate in the face and Jaden McDaniels broke his hand. They now get the LA Lakers in LA on Tuesday and... Uh, in the seven eight matchup with the playing tournament, and brother, I think the I would be, you know, I, the Lakers are probably going to win that game. It would be where I go immediately. But this is just like such a bummer to me because, yeah, the Wolves have kind of persevered through a lot. You know, like Cat <laughs> misses all this time. There's all this stuff that you know they get Mike Conley in here, and then like the last day of the regular season, you get this. Yeah, it is a big bummer. Um, I think Ant will come up later in uh, some of our awards talk and, and looking back on the season because he really has been incredible, it, you know, and this, this felt like it, if things had gone smoother, even dating back to making the trade and the chaos and kind of turmoil in the front office and everything else that's kind of plagued them for the past couple of years, this would have been a real, like, rise to prominence for him. And, like, I honestly don't even want to root uh, count them out in the play-in because Ant was spectacular last year in this exact situation where they had a disappointing regular season relative to expectations a bit and kind of felt uncertain. And then he just lifted them, put them on his shoulders. Jaden McDaniels, they will miss. I I don't know, you know, 
the fact that these two things happened, I think is really where my mind kind of goes immediately. Uh, one being the hilarity of, of Gobert, although I don't know what I can say on a platform that, that is, that is public, Chris, uh, that, that I won't get in trouble or feel bad about. Everybody just seems to dislike that guy. And I feel like that is fair to say he gets picked last in all-star drafts. He gets clowned for crying about stuff. He was hated about the COVID thing. Everybody left the jazz last summer. Like, I do think it's fair to say that that is a pattern, but with the two separate instances, it just is, it, it makes me wonder if there's more going on here, right? If it, it, it couldn't, can't possibly just be that Jaden McDaniels was reacting to whatever the instigating thing between Anderson and Gobert was. It must be that there's just a lot of bad vibes and negativity and frustration around this entire team Despite the opportunity that they have to make another playoff push, it doesn't seem like anybody's head is on that right now. And it's a bummer because we like a lot of players on this team. I think we both do. And it does not feel like they're headed in the right direction. And I don't think they are going to win on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not picking against LeBron James in that game. Just not. Odds aren't up yet, but I have a feeling it might be a... Uh, like seven, eight points. I mean, McDaniels was going to be the LeBron guy. So you just said you're not betting against LeBron. You're definitely not doing it if you have nobody to guard him. LeBron had 36, six and six on on Sunday and crowned himself. Like we're going to get Lakers Grizzlies probably. And I'm just, that's that's, going to be fun. Let's go get the Shannon Sharp front row seats. It's he should, he should be at every, he should go to Memphis for like every game. I, I personally believe he should do that, but, Brennan, let's fly through the interaction to the playoffs slash the play-in. Here, here are the seeds as we have them. We'll start with the Eastern Conference. Bucks 1, Celtics 2, Sixers 3, Cavs 4, Knicks 5, Nets 6. Then you get Miami and Atlanta in a 7-8 play-in. And then you get the Raptors and the Bulls in the 9-10. Western Conference, Nuggets 1, Grizzlies 2, Kings 3, Suns 4, Clippers 5, Warriors 6, Lakers and the Wolves in the 7-8, as we said, and then the Pelicans and the Thunder in the 9-10. Okay, Brendan, some of these matchups, I don't really know how much we need to say. Some of these matchups, I think, are, I think, pretty, you know, favorite, like whoever the Nuggets get out of the Pelicans and the Thunder, I think I'm probably going to very much favor the Pelicans. Right? Like, I think the Bucks are probably going to shellack the Raptors, like, whoever gets out of the bottom of the East, like they're just going to walk through those teams. I think the yeah. Buck, the Celtics are probably going to do the same thing, right? Even Philly in the three, six, I would favor them pretty heavily over, over what Brooklyn is. But yeah. I, to, to ask you to just run through this, you look at the bracket. Let's start with the East. What is your favorite series that we have right now in the Eastern conference? Yeah. I'm going to kind of operate under the assumption in the East that the seven and eight, as they currently are, are the two teams that emerge. Does that feel fair? I feel like Toronto and Chicago are a pretty clear step down. It would be an upset if the play-in ended up with anything other than Heat Hawks making it into the playoffs. Is that? Do you agree with me? I would agree with that. I, I, if you had to pick one of Toronto or the Chicago to get out there, who would you pick? It feels like uh, we just talked about Minnesota's bad vibes. I feel like Toronto is not exactly riding high. You know, their their coach is kind of like basically on his way out. I don't know how much they're going to hold their heads high and, and really fight in this in this weird end of season for them. So I would probably say Chicago is more likely. They also have the offense where it's like you could imagine a DeRozan or Levine game where they just get incredibly hot from deep, from mid-range, just make a bunch of jumpers. And they have to win two games because they're the 10, but... 
I guess I could see them winning against Toronto and then again against Atlanta or something like that, but I don't think it's likely. All right. So let's, I, I agree with that assumption. I think it, I'll, let's still start there. What is your series in the East with that in mind? To me, it's Cavs Knicks and it's a series we've been talking about for the whole time we've been doing this podcast. Basically, Chris, I feel like we have actually a standing bet for a beer on this series. I, I I'm going to back off of, Nixon seven, I think at this point we we well, might not do predictions right now. Uh, I mean, you, you uh, can't you can't for the sake Julius of our Randall bet. Julius Randle got hurt. You, you can you. I mean, I still am gonna. Ca- I I'm gonna. I can't let you cash out on this one. Like I'm gonna collect my beer when the Cavs win that series. Okay. Um. I mean, that's that's just honestly. I'll, I'll like, buy you a beer, but Randall is Randall has changed it. But I'm still excited I'll, because I'll, I feel I'll buy, like I'll buy I'll buy the second beer. How about that? Okay, that's what great. We'll do. So okay. it, it's basically a, there's no stakes to the bet anymore. If that we just took the I whole mean, teeth out of that. I'm, I'm a, look, I'm a vibes guy. Like, and I, I want us to have you know just continuously lead vibes here on the show. Be on even ground. We're we're yeah. we're colleagues and and friends. All right. So yeah. I feel like the physicality and sort of like the the defensive fight that this is going to be is really what has me excited. It's also a, t- a series with a lot of young players on both teams, and so it just the fact that it's kind of both teams first push through, but they both had really impressive regular seasons and the guard matchup with Mitchell and Brunson, the fact that Mitchell was maybe going to be a Nick, obviously from like a narrative standpoint is exciting. I think Mobley versus Randall. If, if Randall is able to come back for any point of it, the individual matchups, the stylistic clash and the narratives, it kind of all is right there for you. So for me, it's, it's Cleveland, New York. This is everything you could want in a first round series to me. Like there, there's storylines out the wazoo. Like there are really high end players who have a playoff history in, in Mitchell and Brunson. I, I think this is the only pick in the Eastern Conference to me. I, I don't think yeah. there is another series that comes with. Like I, this probably to me, Brendan. If we're talking about like the first Saturday of playoff basketball, I think this should be like the opener. Let Let's kick it off with just like high stakes, high drama. Let's like this. This feels like the one to kind of set the tone for that entire first opening weekend. Mm-hmm. It is probably, I would say the one, the one downside on it is I don't know how much, how high the stakes are. I guess if well, Cleveland lost, it would be pretty ugly, but still not like yeah. people are getting fired. Heads are rolling. It's the end of the world. And so there's some series, especially probably the one I'm I'm going to pick in the West to me, it's very much more do or die. And so that element of it being the first go round for both teams makes it a little less intense on that side. But from a basketball standpoint, I think it's going to be a lot of close games, a big chess match, and a very, very fun, intense series. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think, I think Randall being hurt does take away some of the the oomph of this a little bit, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Like I, I would have rather gotten to cover that and seen that. So for me, selfishly, like that's what I would rather see. Yeah. But um, to let's flip over to the West. I'll go first right. in this. I, I think I have. If we're assuming the Lakers win and then I, who would you pick out of the wolves the pelicans and the thunder as the as the likely eight to, like the pelicans maybe just yeah. based on the recent run of play is that where we you would go i'm fading minnesota hard just because of what just oh, happened yeah. so disregard them um i don't feel like the thunder have enough to win two times in those make or break games and they're young on top of everything else whereas the pelicans just did this and pushed the suns in the first round so from that standpoint i'm gonna pick the more experienced kind of uh, savvy team. So I will, I would go Lakers seven, New Orleans eight would be my assumption. I agree. And then I look at the series and I, I look at two, seven Grizzlies Lakers. I think it would be a good pick. I think Suns Clippers 
would be a really good pick, even without Paul George. Yeah. I'm going Kings Warriors. I, I'm going Kings Warriors. Sign me up for this. I think it is Steph Curry and the Nor the NorCal stuff going on here. It is the Kings back in the playoffs. That that Kings environment is going to be rowdy as all heck. I cannot wait to see that. I cannot wait to feel the vibes of that coming off the TV. And they're getting the defending champs. They are getting the defending NBA champions. They have Draymond Green in there, so who's going to rankle some folks. Like, I, I, the offensive firepower upside in this series is immense. Like, Mike Brown obviously has connections to the Warriors as well. Like, there, there's a lot of familiarity in this series. And it is this young upstart team coming into the play for the first time. De'Aaron Fox is the young possible NBA guy. We'll talk about that later. Coming into his own versus the Warriors who have been there, done that. And, and, but probably still like they have some improvements and we don't know what their future really holds to some degree. So to me, I go Kings Warriors as the one I want to see first. If I had to go a 1A, like right there with it, it is Suns Clippers though. So first on Warriors Kings, um, we should talk about the Wiggins part of this because he, we, we kept going back and forth on, will he, won't he come back? He did, but he didn't play any of these regular season games. And so, they're going to have to integrate him. I think the goal, I think Golden State landed exact like they they won the the last week of the season by landing at 6. Like everyone wanted to be there. They got Wiggins back. They are playing solid basketball. Curry is healthy, playing well. Clay's scoring the ball at an elite level like he has been for a while. Draymond Green's getting uh defensive player of the year votes. Everybody's feeling good about the Warriors. Then they finally they get the matchup with that everyone wants with the Kings. Um these teams have played, you know, a lot over the years because they're in the same division and there's always these late night crazy games. I don't think it's going to be a Golden State, like, you know, just book it, you know, sweep, gentlemen sweep, it's over. Golden State is the favorite. I think this will be a pretty close series and I think this might be more of a test, not as much as the Suns might have been or Denver, but, you know, it will be a test for Golden State to kind of hit the ground running pretty quickly. So I like that one for sure. Um, it would also be, can you imagine the Sacramento fans if they somehow pulled that off? Brother. Oh, man. I mean, even just the, the geography of it, the regional kind of stuff, it would be amazing. Could you imagine game seven? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I hope we get that. That I hadn't really thought of. Game um, seven in Sacramento against the Warriors? I mean, come on. This is like... yeah. Clear out your schedule, crack open a cold one if you don't have to do anything and or if you you know if you enjoy drinking and like just enjoy for that for what it is. That is like yeah, just incredibly juicy stuff right there. Warriors will probably probably be able to go small comfortably, which is interesting for them. You probably have to have a lot of Davion Mitchell or Kessler Edwards for the Kings. Not to get too deep on it. We will talk more later, but that is a juicy one. Suns Clippers, did you realize the last time Kawhi and Durant played a playoff series was the finals. And it was the only game they played against each other was game five. Like uh, that storyline is going to be great in Suns Clippers. So I'm all about it, but I have a different one. I have Denver, New Orleans. Oh, okay. And Hip this is a hipster pick, but I like it. It's a little bit of a hipster pick, but it's also kind of a, a, an opportunity to talk about the Pelicans pick here. I think that Denver has more at stake Maybe the Clippers, although now the Paul George injury makes things, you you kind of have a built-in what-if for them already. I think Denver has the most at stake in these Western Conference playoffs of anybody. The Durant trade just happened, so I don't think you can really say that the Suns absolutely, it, it's do or die for them right away. 
The Lakers, we don't really have a high expectations for. The Warriors just won a title. The Grizzlies and Kings are on their way up. You know, the Nuggets have a ton at stake. And the other aspect of this is Zion Williamson, there is still a possibility that he comes back. Like you listen to some of the Pelicans reporters and that last update we got, which is that Zion is just not ready yet, basically, but it didn't have much more data info than, than, than that. They seem to think that they're, the team is leaving the window open for him to return. And if you're telling me that Zion is playing, even if it's in a limited capacity or whatever, that makes it unlike a normal eight seed. This is a team that was a top three seed when he was healthy. I don't know if they're that good. I don't know if he can be that good again. We don't know. We can't know. But Denver has the most at stake, and New Orleans really will push them, I think, more than people are are expecting because that team has been playing well and is getting its best player back. Yeah, I, I think that is fair. I just... I just I look at some of these other series like I look at Grizzlies Lakers for instance and I I think like there there's a lot of Lakers like I wonder if the Lakers will open as like a betting favorite in that series like I, I'm curious to see like how Vegas will look at that because like I I think this they Stephen were favored Adam, against the Suns in 2021 as a seven two yeah and I look at this in particular it's like there's no no Stephen Adams at all no Brandon Clark I think those are massive massive deals that when you're going against Anthony Davis like it wouldn't shock me if like the Jaron Jackson Jr. gets in foul trouble discourse hits like a real high point of a, like a fever pitch when he's guarding Anthony Davis. Like that would yeah. that shock you? Would not shock me at all. No. Um, curious to see how you, we talk about him in defense player of the year, by the way, because I, I, mm-hmm. I, I hear I because of a certain player on the Cleveland Cavaliers, I hear the minutes and like foul <laughs> arguments a lot with yeah. Jaron Jackson Jr. And I'm a, I almost am like a little like annoyed by them to some degree because I hear them so much and think yeah. he's really good. Um, like there's and there's stakes to that. Like there is stakes. There obviously stakes in, in Nuggets Pelicans. I just I just think the Nuggets are probably gonna win that series, and it's not gonna be what. How many games think, do you think? I think five or six. I don't think it goes past six. Yeah, I think you're probably right, but you know, a six game series against the New Orleans Pelicans. I think you would come away from that with Denver fans being a little nervous. I mean, look, Brandon Ingram is playing in this level right now where, like, he is, he's been an absolute monster. He's so good. He's so good. And, like, he is, like, the prototype for, like, hey, like, like he's, like, the warm-up for them for the KD or Kawhi that is waiting for them on the other side. He's one of the most underrated players in the entire NBA. And when he's distributing the ball like he has been, the, I, I watched that game against Memphis on Friday, uh, Thursday. And he was, I had like 13 assists and like 30 points. Like you just, you really can't stop him when he's, when he's playing basketball at that, you know, high IQ level. But yeah, so that's our favorite. His, um, his, play, his playmaking, I'm excited to his see. playmaking too. His playmaking has yeah. really, really grown too, which is, which is a big, big deal for him. He's always kind of the thing that mm-hmm. held him back. Okay. Uh, let's go to favorite one-on-one matchups. I think we can just do one regardless. We can avoid kind of the conference structure and some of this. Sure. I'm going to go back to my Warriors Kings thing. And I'm going to say Draymond versus Demonis Sabonis because you can bet that we're going to get Draymond defending Sabonis in that series. I would suspect we're going to get a big chunk of that in in these games, particularly maybe closing those games. Yeah, Sabonis is essential to what the Kings are on offense. Fox, I think, would be the guy that I team like the face of that team but Sabonis is like the 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 cog in that machine that makes it really hum with the dribble handoffs with the size with just the post-up stuff everything he does on offense really helps kind of 
bring that identity into focus. It does not work unless they had him as their center, like a different kind of center, a more rim rolling, like dunking center, who maybe gives you more defense, I think would change the identity of how that team just functions. Let's enter Draymond Green, who is like, I think, a legit candidate for DPOI, who like can defend up in that way and is absolutely going to like be ready for that. And, and I think be try to bring his A game for that. And the Kevon Looney as well. Probably, you know, he'll start like that'll be the initial thing. But I, I think Draymond versus Sabonis is my weirdo little like, let me just see what this bloodbath kind of entails late in games. Where do you go? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think Looney, you know, it, the ability of Sabonis to just own the glass is going to be really interesting on that one. If I, I don't think that the Warriors are going to blink because they know themselves and they're confident, they'll let themselves lose the glass and, and win in other ways. But if Sabonis can do that, He's going to give his team a bigger chance to win. I also think the foul game with those two guys is going to be pretty interesting because Sabonis is somebody who does draw cheap fouls. He puts other teams in, in the bonus. And if Draymond gets technicals, if he gets in foul trouble, you know, that obviously starts to have a domino effect. So I really like that one. Mine is also in the West. It's one we just talked about. It's Durant Kawhi. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. that those two guys will probably guard one another a lot of times, especially late in games. I think that the fact that they both like to operate in the same areas around that elbow, just getting to their mid-range jumper, getting into isolation, trying to, you know, swipe through and get to the line, all that stuff. They're very, very similar players offensively. And then defensively, you know, they, they probably will bring the best out of one another. They're the best players on their teams. They both do have, you know, I, I know I said Denver has the most at stake, but those two guys losing in the first round for either one would be a huge disappointment. And... The Suns will have home court advantage, which will matter. This is a little bit of a rematch of 2021, although Kawhi did not play in that series. Obviously, Durant was not a Sun at that time. And so all of that kind of combines into just really what could be one of the better, you know, if the, if both of these guys scored 40 a night, you know, 30, 40 a night, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, at least one of them, you know, every single game is going to be getting to that level. And it's just going to be like a, you know, Godzilla versus Kong type of thing. And I'm really excited for it. I'm going to give two honorable mentions uh, out in the East in that Cavs-Nick series. I'm going to kind of combo the guards together. So quickly in Brunson versus Garland and Mitchell. That's just some really high-level two-way guard play. And obviously the Mitchell-Brunson stuff is is a really carryover from last year when they were on different teams. And then in the, also in the West, I mean, how can it not be LeBron and Dylan Brooks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shannon Sharp and... Uh, Steven Adams, maybe, although Adams won't play. So I guess Sharp I wins mean, that one. I mean, T. Morant and Shannon <laughs> Sharp. Everybody. Uh, Everybody. I'll, I'll throw the, one more the, out there. The city, of, the city of Memphis versus uh, Shannon Sharp. Yeah. The uh, the defendant in the civil case with Jaw versus the judge or something. I don't know what joke to make there. Um, all right. So my last one here is Embiid versus Mikhail Bridges in the three Ooh, six because i just want to okay. mention this one i just want to yeah. mention this one because i you know we're probably going to overlook it a little bit but um i went back and watched their game from february 11th and mikhail bridges is quietly one of the best pull-up jumper shooters in the league he shot more than anybody after the deadline and he made more than anyone in the top 10 field goal percentage wise and Embiid's going to be in that drop and so it's a really cool test for mikhail to be able to sort of have that first op be that first option for the first time in a big series like this will be against a player who, yes, it's Joel Embiid. He's a fearsome defender. He can adjust and, and make life hard on bridges, but Embiid probably doesn't want to have to figure a bunch of stuff out and be adjusting and giving a lot of energy 
against the Nets in the first round. But Bridges, if he starts raining those jumpers from three, from mid-range, whatever, Embiid's going to have to exert a little bit more energy and it could get interesting. They could take a couple games. And so I like that one because it, it'll it show us a lot about what Bridges is becoming and it might test the Sixers more than they want to be tested. No, I, I think that's a great call. I think that for me transitions us to player with the most at stake. And I'm going to pick a Philadelphia 76er and I'm picking James Harden, okay? Mm-hmm. James Harden has had the most pretty high-profile and public and, and scrutinized playoff flameouts that we have seen in recent NBA history, I would argue, Brendan. I, I think yeah. the, the Heat series last year, I think, reflected poorly in him. Some of the, the stuff in Houston, obviously, does not reflect well in him as a, as a playoff guy. He is not the number one, obviously, in Philly. That's, gonna, that's Joel Embiid, who's going to win the NBA's MVP award in, in short order, I, I imagine. But I think Harden. Spoilers. I mean, look, the the betting markets don't lie for this stuff. I would I would gather. Yeah. When when he did what he did against the Celtics the other night, the market shifted, and it's like, oh, this feels this problem's over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and even though like the 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 intelligent the basketball like, intelligentsia that like has podcasts and things like all is sort of like Jokic and, but like it seems like everyone else is probably gonna vote for Embiid. Um, and like sometimes I would like like to like. That's, so like, that's, another so then let's, that's actually a good question for me is why do you feel like Harden has more at stake than Joe does? Be- because like he could opt out of his contract and like mm-hmm. if he goes to Houston, is he ever going to, would I bet on James Harden ever having a, a this good of a chance to win a title again? I absolutely would not. Mm. This, this feels like this is like I, he has to validate how good he has been to some degree and compete and beat still has runway and beat is going to like have these like a monster play for him. It might be this year. And like I think you could put Jokic in this as well. It's like, come on, like Jokic, it's time to to perform in the playoffs and kind of get up to that level. I think that's absolutely another way you could go with this question. I just look at Harden at the where he's at in this career, what he hasn't done in the playoffs to date, and like where he might be going, and like what might be next for him. To me, I I go with with Harden for that reason. Yeah, I hear you. It's somebody who a lot of change could follow for if he doesn't accomplish you know really winning a title i mean i I think that's kind of where the the baseline is the benchmark is for philly and i think they are my team with the most at stake i would say i i I uh, agree overall i I think it is i i think they are one of the two teams i would i would answer and my player that i would i would pick in on a on another team i'll say before we move on is is also from that other team but who do you have it who who is your player in beat is it Jokic? who is it yeah, I think it's Jokic. Um, it goes along with my Denver thing. Uh, I think Denver has a little bit less at stake than Philly because of exactly what you said. The fact that uh, Harden could could move on. The fact that you know we don't necessarily know how Embiid would feel if that were to happen. And so there's just volatility there. Head coach change, et cetera. It feels like a lot could shift in Philly if they were to lose. Denver is just you know right there next to them. I just think we feel a little more confident that Jokic is just going to stay and stick around. You know, they might make some trades. They might change their roster. Mike Malone, Michael Malone might might not stick around. We don't know, but uh, I would put Philly a, a little bit ahead. Uh, the thing with Harden for me, just before we move on from him fully, mm-hmm. he's shooting only 57% at the rim this year. And that's been a really big thing for me watching him is it just feels like he's not as much of an automatic lock to... Uh, get to the free throw line. He only averaged 6.2 per game this year or finish at the basket. And yes, he's adjusted his game. He's taking more mid-range shots. He's taking more 
catch and shoot threes, things like that. And so he's not as reliant on getting to the basket and getting to the line, but that's obviously what he does best. And so I think his season has gotten a little bit, the praise for it, I think is, I know he wasn't an all-star. He might not be all NBA. So maybe it hasn't actually shown up in the accolades. I think people feel like he's really impressed. I I've been a little more down on it. And so it would not surprise. I think that the, the Sixers are going to go as far as Embiid takes them, re- regardless yes. of how good Arden has been. And so it's it, if he adds something to that, all the better. But he is in a nice position where he might not have to be great. And so I guess that's why I was surprised to hear you pick him. I, I just think like he is going in a direction where it's like, is this the last chance for Harden to maybe like accomplish something? Like If he goes to the Houston yeah. Rockets... Like I'm sorry, like that team is not going to be like a title contender in the in the length of James Harden's career. You don't think like, so? I, <laughs> I, Brendan, I'm at the point with the Rockets where like I there's a lot of good talent there. Something just seems off there. Where like if I was another head coach, I would be like very like dicey about like taking that job. I'm yeah. like I understand well, these guys might, are. Sick. We might find out pretty soon if it is Nurse because as soon as the Raptors lose that playing game or whenever they get out, it feels like Nurse will be gone and he might take that Houston job right away. Yeah, I just we got to see like some really like or, like culture and organizational structure really matters, and like sometimes like winning papers over some of those things and lead you to a place, and the right talent leads you to that place. But like that job just seems like really like a really really difficult NBA job at the current moment. Okay, um, my you said you mention, had one more team and player. Yeah, my my player would my the team is is something I feel less strongly about. That's Phoenix, and the player though is Chris Paul, hmm. because if if the Suns like don't do well in the playoffs this year. They're not trading Kevin Durant. Yeah. They're not trading Devin Booker. And I don't, they don't have like a lot to trade, but who is the big salary and is older that they could like maybe try to do something with? That's Chris Paul. And like, this is a guy that like just hasn't got, and I I, I count myself as like in the, if there's a Chris Paul hive, I am in it. Mm. I love Chris Paul. He's one of my favorite players of all time. When I was a kid and I got to go to games, he was on like the list of guys that I would tell my dad, like, I want to see this player and I want to try to go to this game. It was like him, KG, Tim Duncan, and for some reason, Jermaine O'Neal. Don't understand the Jermaine O'Neal thing, really. But like I had a Jermaine O'Neal Pacers jersey in middle school for some reason. Can't really explain that one to you. I had a, a D Wade and a Dirk jersey in middle school. Those are my first basketball jerseys. I had a, I got a LeBron one like his rookie year when I was in fourth grade. Cause like, like that was like the thing, like me and all my friends, like wore matching LeBron jerseys to like school the first day. And I was like, yeah, we got LeBron. This is going to be fucking real. Also had a Ben Roethlisberger Jersey, which is a big L. Oh, tr- tr- real, real, tr- real troubling for you there, buddy. I don't yeah. think I ever got like a, a I was just a helpless of, youth. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. Big Miami of Ohio guy for some reason, which is like my alma mater's, uh, our rival. troubling, 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 troubling. But like, look, Chris, what Chris Paul is heading towards the end here. And it's like, I would just like to see him like actually get to win something. And is like, is he the guy you would pivot off of if, you know, things go a different direction? They're going to change something with, with, uh, they're going to do something with Chris Paul. I think if, if they win the championship, I could see them rolling into next year, keeping him because really, unless they could find a trade candidate and you're probably not getting great value on that, their best option is to just cut him and he has not some non guaranteed money and whatnot. I don't think you do that if you are, coming off of winning the title. Um, but and like, and like, how would that, re- how would that resonate? Aiden's another good one. Yeah. Cause you could trade him as well. I forgot about that. That's the player you might probably get to have some, some equal value on. You might be able to get something real back for him. He's making a ton of money, but he's still young and you could see a team being like, yeah, we'll give you 
you know, a couple role players and a pick for him or something, you know, and, and reset your team that way. De- like break down the salaries instead of having these four mega salaries. I could see that. Um, we have player and team with most to gain on here. I feel like we kind of just said that, but I feel like maybe some of the younger teams we can highlight here. I think the, the West, it's the Kings to me. I mean, if they were to win even one series, it would be a huge step forward, yet another one for them. And I do think it's a possibility, like we said. I think it's the Kings and the Cavs are the answer. Like, it's the two teams that are kind of here for the first time that you think are still ascendant, that you think still have, like, room to grow from where they're at right now. Um, you know, Memphis theoretically could be there as well, just because, like, it's been kind of a dramatic year, and they and Jaws obviously still very young and all that stuff. But I, I think it's the Kings and, and the Cavs. It seems the most going to give. If one of these teams, if either of these teams, you know, makes a run to the conference finals, like, gets there, you know, if the Cavs, like we're to knock off the Bucks, which I don't think is going to happen. But if they did that, that would be like, oh, we've arri- like we're here, we've arrived. If the Kings beat the Warriors, you know, and then get the Lakers in round two, like that, this, there's like a path there for them to have like a really like ascendant, like hey, we're we're legit kind of playoff runs. Like I think those are the two teams that, to different degrees, and I'm sure their fan bases don't totally agree with this because like they want to win. But those are the teams to me. You look at this and you say they're playing with house money more than like. The Nuggets are not playing with house money at this point. I don't really know what... Memphis is kind of its own weird thing right now, but the Kings are house money. The Suns are not playing with house money. The Suns are playing with Matasheba's billions of dollars. The Clippers are playing with Steve Ballmer's billions of dollars and, and you know, a wind, maybe a window of something coming to an end. The Warriors are the Warriors. We know what that is. The Lakers have LeBron. Like, that is not house money at this point. You don't have a lot of time left there. You go to the East. The Bucks, the Celtics, and the Sixers all have pressures of different kinds to win right now and have been here for a couple of years. The Cavs are the team that is really ascendant among that group and, and have a guy in his second year who is like bursting onto the scene, but, and you have Mitchell who I know you just got and you, you have expectations, but it's Kings and Cavs. They're playing with house. I like that. The only team and player that I would add in here, I think segues us into our final superlative here, which is our first time playoff guy that we're most excited to see. I think that if the Thunder, if Shea could lead the Thunder to getting the eight seed. <laughs> you stole my pick. You know, when I when I texted you, you and I were texting yesterday and I said, I'm not going to pick Mobley for this. I was like, I'm going to pick Shea and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I won't, because I think if he just like lights the world on fire in the playing tournament, he just like arrives on a more national scale that he hasn't totally hit yet. Well, we can talk about Mobley then. I also think we could talk about the Kings guys, but uh, if Shea, look, he's going to score 30 plus in, in however many play in games that he plays, I think he is really, truly legit. I mean, if I, I was doing some digging on him because I wrote a piece on him for Dime, Chris, and his season this year, the most comparable season that I could find to it is basically Allen Iverson's MVP year in 2000-2001 in terms of a player who got to the line as much as he did, relied on jumpers so much, although AI did you know, finish well, obviously, too, and so does Shea. And, you know the amount of responsibility that they had, I don't know if their usages are exactly identical. But that's what we're talking about with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And I don't think you can root out the fact that he just takes over against New Orleans, against Minnesota, and that that team becomes the eight seed, shockingly. Very much like Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook did once upon a time, doing the same exact thing and pushing the Lakers, breaking through in their own right. Um, and so we really could see the kind of skyrocketing of, of SGA here 
and this could be his breakout and them as a team, but it's always going to have to run through him because they're just so young and they rely on him so much. Yeah, I, he is their superstar and like the, you know the Chet injury and like their t- the rest of the team with Giddy and and Jalen wing Jalen Williams and and everyone else being really so young. You know, like there's not like it's not like there's like vets on this team that are holding over with the Russ KD era. You know, like like this is an entirely kind of different vibe. This is even a very different vibe than the Chris Paul, um, Shea, you know, uh, Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder kind of like three man guard thing. Like, and this is just kind of Shea's thing, and he is the the vet of that young group, so to speak. So I, I think he's absolutely the guy that I just want to see how he cooks off kind of this really, really, really impressive season. I, th- I think if we're, if I'm, I'm going to go elsewhere, it kind of has to be Mobley. Like Garland, Real too. quick first. Real quick yeah. first. Would Perk sign with the Thunder if they asked him to, or is, would he stay at ESPN? Is he going to get the Tristan Thompson with the Lakers contract, is what you're asking <laughs> yeah, me? Yeah, basically. <laughs> you just talked about holdovers. I'm like, okay, well, Jeff Green's still on uh, the Nuggets, so he's not available. Maybe like Eric Maynard might be out there somewhere. I don't know. Derek Andrew Fisher, Rober, he's uh, unemployed. Andrew, I guess they could uh, get him back. Andre Andre Roberson did play in the G League this year. The G League Finals, I think they I think they made the finals and he was out there or playoffs at least. So yeah, Andre Roberson. Um but yeah, I just I think I think Perk might give it a run. If ESPN gave him, you know, like 3 months grace period and he could just go do the postseason and then come back and he's ready for the draft, botch some names, get 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 rolling. Shagugujus <laughs> Alexander like just something. Yeah. I went to New York. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I can't do this. Yeah, that like, sounded like Tony Soprano. Honestly, yeah, Tony Soprano's like definitely just like hates the Brooklyn Nets because like they're in Brooklyn and left Jersey. <laughs> yeah, he's All just right. ju- um, junior, go off ju- on but, go off on Mobley. Ju- junior Junior definitely would like love Spencer Dinwiddie for his crypto stuff. <laughs> That's accurate. Spencer yes. Dinwiddie would would be would know them. Through a middleman, he would be involved in, with the family in some way, but not touching it enough to ever get in trouble. Or Spencer's too smart for that, but he would have a relationship from a distance. Yeah, uh, KD's like absolutely like act like t- there's a photo at the club of him and Junior like like posted up somewhere in Jersey, but he never being, comments on it. Yeah, yeah, just like is it like never gets talked about on ECT like ETCs like it's just like it's just like a a thing. Um, Luca absolutely like maybe hanging out like just the whole. Who's the Italian guy on the uh, Gallo? Ga- they love Gallo. Definitely, just like they love Gallo. They love. He's in they Boston. love. They love. So I think yeah. it's a different arm of the of the mafia going on. Yeah, in, but it's the it's the Italian. It's just the Italian thing. It's just like you support the Italians. You it's know, it's just the family. The the family yeah. capital F outside like, of just the neighborhood. Yeah, Paulie Walnuts just is like like super stoked for for Gallo to come back from injury next year. He's like he's gonna average twenty. Um, <laughs> God, Mobley. I, this is gonna make me rewatch The Sopranos. I've um, never seen the full show. I've only seen like the first couple seasons. Brendan, you gotta you gotta fix that. You gotta fix that. Okay, so we got a lot of playoff games coming. <laughs> maybe, after, maybe talk to me in July. <laughs> yeah, after that, uh, yeah, we'll do that. But okay, so uh, Mobley is this. Uh, he is keeps ascending and ascending and ascending and ascending. And he is like just in a, such a different space than he was when they were in the play-in last year, which is the play-in. It's not. It's just not the same over the course of like a seven-game sample. And now he is like at this point where he is ready to just totally burst onto the scene, totally ready to just be like a, a very big two-way force. It was more fun to imagine him like maybe like just like ruining Julius. And like we, we don't exactly know if Julius Randle's not going to play, but it, the the language around his injury wouldn't give me like a ton of optimism about that. 
but he is a guy that is just potentially going to be like a dominant, the dominant two way force in a series like that. It's just like this, this is maybe his arrival. And then it sets him up to go, maybe have to guard Giannis for stretches in that series. Mm. Like sign me up. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So I, I didn't end up having him in my, I don't even think I had him in my top three. Uh, he was kind of on the cusp for three with defensive player of the year. And, and we, I, I'm, I'm uh, jumping ahead a bit, but Part of what makes me excited about him is very similar to Jaron Jackson. I think the guys that I value most defensively in the league are the ones who can not only be difference makers as team defenders in help situations, make their teammates better by taking up space, by doing what they do, but also just shut people down in isolation. And mm-hmm. he is he is that. Already he's that. He's young. He makes mistakes. He's not as consistent Maybe the game plan knowledge, all that stuff that comes along over time isn't necessarily there for him, but he is already that good at both aspects of, de- of defense. And are you kind of bummed that Randall might miss this yeah. series because yes. of what it would have been able to be for Mobley? Because I, I I guess it maybe makes the series closer, so you might be sweating a little bit more, but it would have been an extra opportunity for him to seize if Randall was there. My goal is to watch really competitive basketball at all times in these playoff series and like be in person for the best games possible. That is like what I, my rooting interest at the end of the day, no Julius Randall means that I am not seeing the most competitive Cavs Knicks series possible. And Mobley getting to get that assignment, draw an all NBA guy who hit eight threes in a game against the Cavs earlier this year, who like against a team that is three and one against the Cavs this year to him to be the guy that is potentially the one who takes that guy out of a series and really flusters him on two pointers and and eats up his space on threes. And as his offense is growing to be someone that can like really probably do some work against Randall and and do all this stuff. It is a bummer. I that that was the number it went aside from even more for me than Mitchell Brunson, even more for me than the, all the other stuff you could look at the drama. I wanted Mobley v Randall and I wanted to see how Mobley would do in that environment. That that is the stuff that shapes great young players. And I, I felt like we really, really are missing something. I feel we're really, really missing something by him. Not us, not getting that last year. Brunson was 30, 28 points per game on 48% shooting from the field in the first round against Utah while Luca was hurt. Is he above or below that scoring mark in the first round this year? 28 points per game, 28 a game. I might have to be above if they're going to have a chance. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun series from him, but I do think we lost out a little bit on not getting Randall in general for what it would have meant for New York, but also just that one-on-one with Randall and Mobley. Um, any last playoff thoughts, or do you want to move on to awards? I can't wait. Playing's going to be fun, but uh, this is... Brendan, we'll this have more is breakdown like, of each series, I guess, later in the week, right? So Yeah, but th- this is I th- this this is probably my favorite like sports like weekend of the year. Like I've, Opening playoff weekend is just like, wall to wall with really, really high, high quality basketball. And like, I don't have like all of these teams. I can find something about all of these teams to be excited about. Would have been honestly, honestly, we won by having the thunder and not the maps. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, one, cause I actually think they could win. And two, because I'm just ready for Dallas to go away. I don't want to hear about them anymore. We intentionally didn't talk about any of that. Cause I think it's all kind of obnoxious and Mark Cuban is a, an attention hog. So I'm happy to not. Um, yeah, the NBA playoff Saturday, Sunday is the March Madness Thursday, Friday for adults. 
That's my take. <laughs> you should, uh, we're putting that on a graphic and let's get some people mad at us on Perfect. Instagram. Let's go. Okay. All right. Let's move, uh, on to, let's move on to awards. We got, a, we got awards now. Um, you want to do MVP first? Let's, let's like build MVP. Cause I, okay. I like as much as that award stuff has been toxic and weird, I, I still feel like we should build to that. So let's start with rookie of the year. Okay. I, I think it has to be Paolo Bancaro. I, yeah. I understand Jalen Williams has surged of late. He's really good. I would feel great about him if I'm a Thunder fan. But Bancaro's body of work, the skill he shows, kind of like being like, I, I just give him some, I do give a little bit of a boost to him because he is this guy playing in an oversized role for what he is right now, having to absorb all that. I do give some credence to that, that he is just being asked to do more than Jalen Williams is. I think it's closer. It's not like a, like maybe, I don't think he should be unanimous, but I'm going to go Palo Bancaro. I think he should be the I think he should be unanimous. I think the fact, uh, not the fact, the, the qualities and role and level of responsibility that people have been impressed with Jalen Williams being able to handle that's kind of started to turn heads in his direction has been what Paolo has had to shoulder all season. You know what I mean? He is top 30 in usage rate. He never turns the ball over basically for, for how much he has it and how young he is turnover percentage, less than 13. That's super solid. His efficiency isn't there. He went cold during the middle of the season. He had some problems, but his defense Advanced model stuff pretty much already close to a, a net zero, which is a great place to start if you're already 6'10 mm-hmm. and having to guard good players. It's not like he was hidden. It's not like he was on a great team. It's not like he was Scotty Barnes last year where he's just kind of able to feel it out. And he just hit the ground running. He like he talked in, he was on Ryan Rosillo's podcast this week and he was like, Yeah, first month of the year, whatever it was while we were waiting on Fultz, like I was playing point guard and he handled mm-hmm. it fine. You know, like they're a they're a good team the the last part of the year they were a mediocre team for the first part of the year and he was just doing all of that at age 20 like I just the level of difficulty of what he did and the fact that even with the level of difficulty he was still pretty solid to me as a rookie like that's far and away better than you know Jalen Williams really only started doing that stuff past couple months and it's like yeah it's exciting but like okay we can't ignore the first X number of games and Paolo played 72 games on top of all of that. He was, he was available and he produced every single time. So yeah, I, I think it, it, if anyone, if it's close, I'll be mad. Let me put it that way. Yeah. I would you, who'd you have voted for last year? Just for the record. Uh, I feel like I probably would have gone. I didn't really, it, it was funny because they were all good. You know, I even think yeah. Jalen Green was like solid, you know, in terms of what he was supposed to be doing out there, which was, hey, go shoot. You know, he did that. And like, he had some special <laughs> nights and the, high the highs, Houston, you know, man, the Houston Rockets, incredible. But I didn't think any of them had like a stellar case over the other. Like it was pretty much a three-way tie. So I kind of understood how it went. I probably would have gone with Mobley. But that's mostly just because I like him more as a player and I think he's going to be better. I don't know if that's really based on his season. And so it's kind of tough. Yeah, I think Mobley got a little... I, I think one of the things that this year I I hope I think is happening a little bit with Jalen Williams that I think the end of the year obviously should matter. 
but I think sometimes like there's there's like momentum on like late season stuff, and I think that cost Mobley to some degree last year because Barnes did finish really strong. The team then the Raptors were better than the Cavs at the end of the year, and I like that. I th- obviously that factors into what we're talking about here, but I I think you and people really watch the Thunder look. more than the Magic. Like let's just be realistic, right? Shea, yeah, because because one Shea team is good and the great. other one is tanking. Exactly. Shea being yeah. great makes people turn that team on and then they're pleasantly surprised by what they see. And then with Walker Kessler, who's the other real candidate here, it's like, wow, the Jazz are really doing this. It's a cool story. Like, And Kessler has all the advanced stats stuff in, in the bag. I don't think that's super honest about his role and whatnot. But so you kind of get why everybody has their case. And it's not I like you and I have talked up Jalen Williams before. It's not like it's a, a negative on him, but it's like Ben Caro played 72 games as the highest usage player on a team that was hovering around 500 after the first month that just to me blows anything else out of the water yes uh let's go to most improved uh also walker kessler by the way did not punch a teammate in the huddle this year it's true it's true i I hope he has better taste in comedy too but i don't know can't can't confirm (laughs) i have so many questions about nico bear the vibe um tough I'm afraid I don't have any questions, actually, and that's what worries me more. Yeah, I couldn't believe that when I saw where he spent some time. Um, okay, so most important player, who, who's your pick? It's Larry Markkinen to me. Yeah, okay, same pick. Okay, I, I think Shea might win this, but I, I don't think Shea got better. I mean, here, here, I'm not trying to detract from him. Yeah. He's a special player. I think he's obviously improved like any great player improves, but I don't think he added something special and new to what he was already doing. I think they just didn't bench him this year and he has better role players. <laughs> like Lowry added stuff. This dude's in year like what, five or six? And he's just doing stuff we've never seen before. He he took a leap from like 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 kind of afterthought starter with the again the last year of his contract is non guarantee has like a partial guarantee on it to like all NBA contender at forward. Like yeah. he took, and it was a, as a deserving all-star, all of this stuff. He took like a very, very big leap forward. Like I, I'm sure there, there are things that I think technically like Shea has improved on, but in terms of like a leap that we can like really quantify and like just how big it is, I think it should be Lowry. Like I, I don't, this was like number one with a bullet for me. Um, yeah, I think it should be. I, this is just the award that also definitely suffers that there are just no set parameters on how to vote for it. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a crappy award to be honest. Um, I don't know. Yeah, they I should just I have like they should just call it Breakout Player of the Year or something like that, and then have it be the young guy, you know, and just kind of take the the uncertainty out of it. But I think Lowry is to me the perfect kind of candidate where it's like he's young enough that it's like we were all kind of looking for it. But like I've said it a million times with him, the combination of power game and finesse game that he's been able to develop is super cool to watch and very unique and something I did not see coming from him. I didn't think he could put all of that together. I kind of thought he would just be like a spot up shooter guy for the rest of his career. And he's beyond that for sure. Yeah. He, from seeing him in person last year and seeing like how he fit and in, in what he kind of did in a kind of a specialist role in Cleveland, I was just like, he'll probably do pretty well in Utah. Like that's a guy I, I think is like a good NBA player at the size and the shooting and, and all that stuff was really valuable. But it's like ascendant in a way that I just I didn't see. Okay, let's go to d- uh, defensive player of the year. So, I think this is one of the tougher awards for me this year, Brendan. Like where where I think yeah, like we same. are like I think it's hard to define. 
I think there there you you every guy kind of has warts and and not warts. I think this tell me this here I'll give you a list of candidates and then I'll I'll tell you you can tell me if there's anyone that I would they that should be on there that I'm not I would not have as like a top 5, okay? In no order. Yeah. Draymond Green, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brooke Lopez, Evan Mobley, and Bam Adebayo. That's 5. Yeah. Nick Claxton probably needs to be like kind of on on the edges there in that discussion. If they never made the trades, he would have been in our conversation for sure. Yeah. I I but I think the the main four for me as far as like real candidates would be Draymond, Brooke, Mobley, and Triple J. So the one other player I think I would put on there, I think you could put Drew or Giannis as well, but I think Brooke sure. as being like the buck on the short list feels right. The other one player, I don't think he played enough minutes at all, but Alex Caruso is would, at would the be, absolute yeah. He's at the absolute top of all the advanced stuff, and the Bulls are quietly a top 10 defense this year in the NBA. And it's not, you can't say one guard is like solely responsible for that. And again, he did not play many minutes, all things considered, but he deserves a lot of credit as the best defender on a top 10 defense and somebody who all the advanced stats say when he's on the floor, the Bulls are suffocating and he steals the ball like mad and everything else. But I just, for all the reasons I just said, I couldn't quite get him in my top three or really like in the the main conversation, but he's a stud. He'll be on all defense for sure. Yeah, that he's absolutely should be. Him and Drew are just like, can you imagine if they were on like the same team, like how hard it would be to fucking score against those two guys? <laughs> I like, mean, they had Lonzo God. and uh, now they don't. So we saw a little bit of that. Yeah, like light, like light Drew. Um, yeah. So, okay. So who who would your pick be? So I went with Jaron Jackson Jr. Okay. And I'll make the case. He leads the NBA in defensive effective estimated plus minus. He leads in blocks per game. Memphis has the second best defense in the NBA. I collected these notes before the trash games from the weekend. So if anything's a yeah, little the, off. The, look, um, honestly, and those games are, those, those games are like utterly count. pointless. Yeah. Yeah. So all that Memphis second in defense. He leads in advanced stat defense and uh, blocks per game. And to me, I think he's the single most feared defensive player by opposing coaching staffs in the NBA this year. In terms of there's a regular season game coming up. Memphis is on the schedule. JJJ puts the fear of God in whoever on a coaching staff has the scout for that night more than I think anybody else that there is. And there's a a variety of reasons for that. And I think minutes coming into play here does matter. I think some of the other players and how much they played or what role they played, uh, you know, it, that that that's up for debate. That's obviously my opinion, but I feel like Jaron Jackson, he just alters what an offense is trying to do and needs to be accounted for more than anyone else. And when you add in the statistical stuff that I just said, to me, I'm able to look past the fact that Total games, he's a little behind other guys. Total minutes, he's quite a bit behind some guys. But to me, I don't factor that in so much for defensive player of the year. It's not most valuable defender. We're talking about who is the best defender. And yeah, there is a threshold where I'm going to dock somebody and say they didn't play enough. But for me, this year with how close it was and the fact that he dominated in so many other ways and all the stuff I just said, I was able to, to give him the edge anyway, despite that he wasn't on the court as much as somewhere. 
the foul stuff I think is should should be like a real like dent in his case. Like as much as I know like Memphis people like get mad about this and all that stuff. Like if you're just not on the court as much, I think that does hurt your case. Mm-hmm. So he I had think- he had he fouled out of four games. Mm-hmm. And he had at least five fouls in 18 games. That's crazy. He only played like 63 games. He played 63 games this year. So 18 out of 63, that's about what a, a more than a quarter. He was in, you know, considerable foul trouble. So just to illustrate what you're saying, because I do agree it, it should matter. And it did matter to me, but I think I just, he still got the edge. He has an insanely high block rate an insanely high steal rate. The volume is there in terms of um, just everything you could ask him to do. You know, the the foul stuff is, you know, it's like relative to his position, like he doesn't foul as much, but he just like gets himself in foul trouble is more kind of the way you'd put it. <laughs> I'm going to do the homer pick. I'm going to pick You're Evan picking. Mobley. I'm picking Evan Mobley. Here's why. He's, he's not going to win. He's not going to win, but I... I'm not saying that makes you wrong. Give me your case. Give me your case. I won't argue with you before you're done. Tell me why you pick him. So I think he's the most important defender on I, on one of the best two or three defenses in the entire league. I I will give you that he his case, I think, is hurt by the fact that Jared, Jared Allen gets a brunt of the volume as a rim protector thing. And that, that matters a ton. I think like the way, even as the game has changed, rim defense and volume defense at the rim is still very much how... You need to see, you need to have that season. That is why Rudy Gobert won like a bunch of Defensive Player of the Year awards, right? Like that. That is why that happened. I think what Mobley is doing at his size and like the the various things he can do, I I think is just makes him just like kind of a one of one defender in a lot of ways. Like he is almost like I you know there's been KG comps and stuff for him. I kind of almost like see like his evolution is going to be something of like a, a like a seven foot Draymond. Where it's like he can slide into the post under guy, he can switch, he can play the passing lanes, he's gonna do all this stuff. Doesn't have as high of a steal rate as Jaron Jackson, but pretty good block rate. Does not commit fouls, just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And well, it's and just kind. Of, and, to and, add to that, he was uh, top ten in total minutes played in the entire league this year. Yeah, and so you're it's polar opposites with him and Jaron. Played 78 games out of possible 82. He's just on the floor all the time this year. Incredibly durable. Like I, and he can just do anything. Like he is both like really high in on, in contests at the rim, and contests on three pointers. There's no one else in this candidacy pool that is even comparable in terms of how much different stuff he's being asked to do. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to ask he, you. Do you feel yeah. like Mobley is more versatile than Jaren? Because I think he, that's yes. part of the case for him. Is that he? Yes. You know, there were games this year where he guarded Butler, Tatum. You don't see Jaron doing that. No. And and some of that maybe is because like you I would I would be curious to like if you got truce from me to Taylor Jenkins and it's like, hey, like if you didn't have Dylan Brooks, would like this be a thing you do with Jaron? Like all of this is circumstantial, right? Like Brooke like Brooke Lopez benefits from having Giannis on his roster as his as this like monster. Sure, four, and like Cleveland right? doesn't have a backup center, right? So then you actually have Mobley like almost being forced to be in different spots on the court yeah. whereas Jaron they don't you know Adams has been hurt a lot but they always have some big man playing center yeah. Jaron does play backup center a lot but even then he's really sort of there as a rim protector they don't really switch a lot they don't do a lot of that stuff whereas Mobley yeah. has been game planned into a lot more 
uh, it, different spots. And and Brendan, throughout the year, when I'm watching Mobley, and like, look, this is a guy I see, I saw in person like forty, like around forty times. I missed like a couple home games here and there. Slacker. Just yeah, guess what? I didn't go to the 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 Charlotte game on Easter because brother, I I I, I that, didn't need to go to that one. Um, <laughs> this is a guy that like some of the best scores in the league that you would see Tatum. And Bradley Beagle and Butler and pick pick your star player that he would get switched on to. Those guys just like give up the ball when they get switched on. They're just like, nope, not doing this. Not doing this. Yeah. He needs it in his second year. And he's like played all these games. I don't think he's gonna win it either. But like if you but like I would be like, I think there's a real case for him to win it now. And I kind of think like I would be like smashing a future on him winning one in the next like three years. Yeah, if anybody can find that on any sort of sports book, uh, I would I would hit that yeah. pretty hard. Even like if you can get early odds for next year, like as soon as this year's awards get announced, like just hit it because I agree. So I had him third, and so I'm you know I was more just surprised that you that you went for it. Um, I, it, it really just might be like I have watched him so much more. Sure, that like appreciate it, it, is more. Ju- it is just like, and and I to me the the games played and the foul stuff does just matter. Yeah, I think it's. I think continuing to compare him with with Jaron is pretty interesting here. So, um, Mobley's listed at seven feet. Is he seven feet tall? Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, it doesn't feel like it. He moves. Jaron Jackson moves fluidly as hell. Evan Mobley moves even more fluidly than that, and like that's that's super crazy. Uh, and it contributes uh, to why he's able to to handle so many different types of things. The last part here that I, I just w- I am wondering on. So I had Brooke Lopez second, just for the record. Uh, pretty straightforward. Led the NBA in total blocks. First in defense. Uh, Milwaukee's first in defense. They allowed 8.5 pu- fewer points per 100 possessions with Brooke Lopez on the court. That's pretty elite. That's the best mark he's ever had, which adds to a case that he he's had a case a lot of years. Um, but on that note of the on-off stuff, the, the Cavs defense is statistically worse with Mobley on the court. What do you make of why that is? I think there are two. Is it those backup center minutes? It is the backup center minutes, and it's the fact that, like, they just are, they do not have, they really do not have the size. Like, they get, they've gotten really small in a hurry when there is no, when there's not two bigs on the floor. If, like, they are playing, like, Jetty Osmond at the four. Like, Karis Levert is playing, like, minutes. Like, they, they are skewing so small that I think they are just, like, like the meat grinder stuff is him, and like the those lineups with Mobley at the five off are killing it, like net rating wise for the most part. But they just have skewed so small, where like they could, like if if they could get David Roddy, <laughs> just be a big body Roddy and dunk on people and be like a deterrent on drives. I think it would really boost kind of what their those lineups look like because it is putting Mobley in the spot where he has to cover like everything, and it, and as good as he is, as good as any as all these guys are defensively. There is no player in the league who is like going to succeed at just covering for everything, everywhere, all war at once, right? Like they are going to just be put into the blender and, and except for Michelle Yeo, yeah, um, just some googly eyes and some some stuff. But um, I'm glad you caught that; it made me happy. This is why we're we're buds because I I slipped that in there and we're just rolling. Yeah, I got you. Um, I got you. Um, no, I think it's all a great case for Mobley. I I hear you. I I do think that you know. Their depth is a problem when he's out there as the backup five. I'm, I would imagine those lineups get killed. Um, you know, he's also just been out there a ton, and 
sometimes randomness happens too, right? Like he'll be out there on a night when Mitchell's sitting and the team's worse, but Mobley gets that counted against him in the plus mind. Like it's Mm -hmm. when you play so much, I almost think that can also sometimes work against you unless you're the best of the best of the best in the league. So uh, yeah, I had him third. So I had Jaron, Brooke, Mobley as my top three. Who did you have to fill out as two and three? I went Jaron two and and I went Brooke three. Um, I, I think Dray I think Draymond would have been like a reasonable three as well. But like I if we're looking Their at like how is middle of the road. So That's this where is where I couldn't do it with the, Draymond. The, the, this is where I was gonna go. Um I would say if people want the Draymond case, Michael Pina wrote about this at the ringer. I think it is much yeah. more articulate and, and well thought out. He actually voted Draymond for first and, and Pina's yeah. Pina's the best. Shouts to to, to Pina. Here, here's just the net, the defensive ratings from Cleveland the Glass for these teams that were uh, of the main candidates. So Cleveland has the best defense rating in the league, hundred eleven point. Oh, it gives up hundred eleven points per hundred possessions. That's four points better than four point one points better than league average. Memphis is second. They're at one eleven point three. So they're they're like right there with Cleveland. Milwaukee has a defensive rating on the year of one eleven point five. That is half a point worse than Cleveland per 100 possessions. That is some really thin margins. You slide down a little bit. Golden State is 11th at 114.12. That is you know, less than a point better than league average. I think that counts for something. I, I think that has to factor in here. And those three guys that we've discussed are at premium positions and anchoring the best defenses in the league. So that that is how I settled on my top. Yep, pretty much the same with me. That's how I got... It's how I kind of sifted away, uh, you know, Bam and Draymond and whatnot is their, their teams weren't quite as good. And so I discounted, you know, their overall impact if the, if the team defense wasn't as good and, and then, you know, Caruso for the reason I said. So uh, yeah, I think we had the t- same top three. I do feel, do you think Jaron will win? I do. It seems that it see, it seems that way. Yeah. And I think it's the easy pick for the people who don't pay as close of attention because it's just the one that's kind of gotten the most hype throughout the year. Uh, but speaking I, of I, that and hype, really, I think really, we really go to really, MVP. Really, yeah. Just really, really think the foul trouble thing is going to show up. Yeah, but like, you know, do people really, you know, like the beat writer who covers like Detroit, you know, like are they going to lean toward Brooke Lopez or the guy who gets attention for being a, a great defender? You know, I don't know. No, I don't know. We'll 100%. see. But Jaron yeah. is the betting favorite too. Um, yeah. All right. So MVP. MVP. I'll just give you my three in order. We know who the names are. I'll give you my order. I went Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. Okay. Um, off the bat, I'll go. I'll just tell you why I picked Embiid first. I, I sort of like the idea that some people have of like kind of who owned the season, who really like seized the season and and was the story of the season. I actually do use that as a little bit of a tiebreaker, just in terms of. When I'm looking back in five years, who am I going to think of? I do feel like that is a good way to sort of conceptually just check yourself a little bit when it is so close. And that's not the main reason that I picked him, but it's part of why I eventually went that way at, you know, with the margins being so close. So I think the part of it that I, that I don't feel like I've said before that gets enough attention, um, one is the defense has been a little below his usual standard, but I feel like if you look at how much he's had to pace himself, when he wants to turn on the defense in the fourth quarter, whether it's Boston, whether it's Milwaukee, whether it's Denver, whether it's Memphis, there's been countless examples throughout the season. He's done that. And he's shown you that he can still change games. Maybe he just can't do it for 40 minutes a night when he's doing so much on offense, but he can. And then the other part is I give him a lot of credit. I know this isn't necessarily what value necessarily means, but 
This is a dude who was just a post-up monster for the first five years or whatever of his career. This year, he's like, you want me to just run like double as many pick and rolls as I ever have in my life? Okay, I'll be efficient and elite at that too. And I'll uh, I'll bring in a guy like James Harden. We talk about Harden adapting a lot because it's harder. We thought it would be more difficult for him to do that, but Embiid has done it too. And Embiid has just basically said, okay, different, different co-star, I'll change my game, and I'll still have the best season of my career offensively, in my opinion. Um, and so those two things to me, plus they're, you know, 12.4 points better with him on. That's not quite as good as Jokic, as we all know. Jokic is a freak in that stat, but close enough, good enough, better than most other anyone besides Jokic. And then again, that sort of narrative of just like, he'll be the guy that I feel like I will think about the most this year when I think back, and and I think that should matter. So that's my case. I have the same top three in that exact order. I think Embiid, like I look, and I also would give credence to the thing of I, this, Embiid hasn't won it before, and I, I know this isn't exactly how this works, or like maybe should be how it works. I just kind of look at it and say like, this is a guy averaging thirty three and ten who has been right there the last couple of years in the MVP race and hasn't won one, on a team that is, you know, like as good if not better you know, statistically than, than Denver. Like, they're, they're, the Philly's fifth in net rating. Denver's sixth. You know, the, 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 the Philly has the third best offense in the league. Denver has the fifth. Philly has the 10th best defense. Denver has the set, has the 17th, right? Like, like, these are pretty similar teams in all these different ways you want to measure them. I just, I think I think of you the same thing of the same way as Embiid. It's like he's going to define the scene for me in a lot of ways. Like I that that Celtics game was like the kind of the encapsulation of that. If it's just like that guy is doing stuff at seven feet that I can't even fathom. I will say there was a couple days where I really was like, like are we just like overthinking this with Giannis? He's sixty three games in a year and like is is just you know it's a little it's it's only three fewer than Embiid. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like that. There's a big thing there. That is the best team in the league. Yeah, I think we would agree. You know, are we like overthinking it? And like maybe we I, are. So the reason that I ended up knocking him because I think I told you the last time we talked about this that I had Giannis. Fifty-eight wins matters a ton to me, but and he's still top six in estimated plus-minus. So he's he's the 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 bottom of these three, but still in the in the league very high, but. It's the efficiency being a little worse than the other guys. He did have the fewest games played overall. And the Bucs were only less than eight points better with him on the court this year. Whereas I just told you what it was with with Brooke. And I think that the other guys were good enough that, you know, maybe that docks him in an unfair way. But when you're talking about value, you kind of have to do that. And so despite them winning the most games and him being statistically comparable in a lot of other ways, it was that efficiency games played and the on off it was just my way of splitting hairs the the other thing i will say in the Embiid Jokic thing that i i just feel like rewarding Embiid for like i, I could have a different meeting tomorrow i think this is that close and it should be that close Embiid has to like really like shoulder so much stuff and like make things work for everyone and like overcome certain structural things about what philly is and what those guys are that's the interesting thing to me is I actually feel like we have talked so much about how Denver's supporting cast is mid that we've kind of forgotten that it's not like Philly has a bunch of world beaters out there. You know, like mm-hmm. 
37-year-old P.J. Tucker is starting games for them. You know, they can't figure out who their two guard is going to be. They have good options. It's not like they have bad options, but, you know, Tobias Harris has been incredibly disappointing this season to me. And we just talked about Harden, who is very good, better than, I guess, you know, Jamal Murray or whoever Aaron Gordon, you would say, is is Jokic's number two, but not by, like, such a substantial margin. It's like Nikola Jokic is playing with Jason Tatum, or I'm sorry, Embiid's playing with Jason Tatum. You know, it's 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 closer than I think people make it sound, like, between Philly's supporting cast and Denver's. And so that that also factored into me, that Embiid really is lifting quite a bit, even if his usage and responsibility isn't quite what no one's is what Jokic's is like come on it's it's yeah. the same as like the Nash stuff and back in the day and things it's like well yeah but how far does that go you can't just have that be the trump card no matter what the argument is forever that that doesn't feel fair either and Embiid is a better defender like I you know you're right yeah, that he had he's taken stuff off here and there and all this stuff but like he is a better more impactful defensive player and like I'm, I'm going to put some stock in that as well um MVP doesn't have to be so annoying uh Brendan, I, th- I think let's do all NBA and then uh, we can tease. Are we? We'll probably tease kind of. We have a bunch of other things. All NBA is fascinating. There's a lot of ramifications to come here. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you my first team first. Mm-hmm. Gilles Alexander, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. Okay, I think that's gonna be. Uh, pretty standard. You had Shea? Is that what you said? I have, Shea, I have Shea. Made the plan. An efficiently crazy year. Not whining all the time. Not like kind of dragging his team in, in certain instances. Wait, who are you talking like, about? Who are you referencing there? A guy I'm going to put on my second team. Okay. So I have that guy still- on my second team too. Okay. Um, My first team guard, the other uh, a part, I do have Donovan Mitchell. My other first team guard is Steph Curry. Yeah, and I thought about he's, this. He's, he's fifty-five games. He's at fifty-five games played. I do feel like I've finally started to hear people coming around on him and his case. But thirty points per game, forty-nine percent shooting, which is his best since Durant was there. Um, you know, normal assists, normal rebounds, very typical Steph year. He's bounced back as a three-point shooter after an ugly season last year for his standards at 38%. He's at 43 this year, which is also his best since Kevin Durant was a warrior. I just think this guy's having a- as good of a vintage Steph season as you could possibly ask for, and he didn't miss even half the season. So I guess in the new CBA, he wouldn't be eligible for this, but uh, for as long as I'm allowed to vote for him, I'm still giving him my first team slot. So I had Steph, Mitchell, Giannis, Tatum, Embiid. So to transition to second team, I go Luca, Steph, Jimmy Butler, Julius Randle, and Nikola Jokic. Interesting. So I had Jalen Brown. I had Shea, who we didn't have I didn't have on my first team, so he was on my mm-hmm. second team. I had Luca as well. And then the other forward and center were the same. Our difference there is is Jalen Brown. I had him over Julius Randle. I actually am second guessing myself. I'm going to have Julius Randle on my third team. I forgot about him, honestly, um, in this because he wasn't healthy and he wasn't on my mind. But did you have Brown on your third team? Brown is on my third team. I think he's really deserving. I just looked at Jimmy and it's like he's having... Brendan, here, like advanced stats are obviously not everything, but here are the players with a, a higher um, expected wins added than, than Jimmy Butler this season. Here's the entire list. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Jokic, Embiid, Tatum, Doncic, SGA, and Dame. That's the whole freaking list. He's having, like, I understand the team is not as good, 
but he is having one of the best Jimmy Butler seasons we've had. He is still just like an incredibly, incredibly good player, two-way player, just like an absolutely efficient guy who's driving like really good winning basketball and kind of like imagine how bad that team would be if Jimmy Butler was not there to just kind of do Jimmy Butler stuff and make a ton a ton of stuff salvageable. Um, I, I just think like the, the focus of what he has been, how good he's been just kind of at all levels to me, I, I go with, I go with Jimmy. I just, I just think he, I just think, I also just like love Jimmy and what he does. I understand the free throw stuff can be very grating, but that dude is a winning, really, really high quality basketball player. And to me, I, I have him just like a step above Jalen as an individual. I think Jalen's had a great year. He's going to be on my third team, as I said, but I, I think this is arguably one of the best Jimmy Butler seasons we've ever had and it, it deserves some respect 35 percent from three not a ton of volume but like made some threes this year and just still just like an absolute monster so i had butler on my second team i had brown on my second team with him i had randall will be the one who goes down to three for me so i hear you completely i think butler to me is going to be one where if he doesn't make I think he deserves second team flat out. I don't think he should even be third team. And I really feel strongly enough about it that I think I will, I will, I will feel a little bit of anger if he doesn't get here, because I think it just feels very ripe to be overlooked because Miami as a whole have been so disappointing, but he's having four, like not even, there's not even a close second in terms of the efficiency that he's had this year, 54% from the field. He hasn't even had another season ever in his career over 50. He is scoring the second most points per game of his career. He, in terms of estimated plus minus, is in the 94th percentile in terms of defensive impact and the 98th percentile in terms of uh, offensive impact. He played seven more games than last year. Most games he's played in a season since 2018-19 when he got traded from Minnesota. I just think this guy is not the problem with the Miami Heat whatsoever and uh, deserves a lot of credit for the season that he's had despite their struggles and the fact that their role players have been really disappointing and they can't make any threes and on and on and on. So uh, he he is a strong second team for me, probably one of my my biggest, like, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to be really bummed things of this All-NBA. Who's your third team? So I'm going to go De'Aaron Fox. I'm going to go Damian Lillard which I don't totally feel great about because it's a really crappy team, but Dame just killed it all year. I'm going to go LeBron James. I'm going to go Jalen Brown, and I'm going to go Demonis Sabonis. Okay. So forwards and centers were on the same same page. I had Randall, I had LeBron, and I had Sabonis. Guards, I have two completely different names than you. So I had Drew Holiday. He it was it was down to Dame and Drew Holiday for me for that that last guard spot. So I just really value the way that Holiday stepped up while Middleton was out. I think this mm-hmm. is one of the I think this might be the best offensive season that Drew has had since becoming a Buck. He's averaging yeah. the most points per game, most assists per game, most well rebounds is not an offensive category. He he pulled up three his pull up three ability. I felt like took a. Uh, him to another level. He took a lot more threes. His efficiency went down, but that's expected from three-point land. Um, I just felt like he really burden, took a lot of the burden offensively in a way that I I didn't think he, I, he ever would really have to do again. I didn't think he was capable of doing again after he left New Orleans. And then obviously the defense is still there for him and, and is a big part of why they're so great on that end. And then my other guard was Devin Booker, who mm-hmm. I'm going to go with my homer pick here. You had your defensive <laughs> player of the year fun. I'm going to go with... With Booker here, I think that Devin Booker is having 
the best offensive season of his career on a team that had very little going for it offensively outside of like the, I think Kevin Durant played nine games for this team when it was all said and done the offense in terms of, you know, efficiency ranking in the NBA, I don't think is going to be anything special, but with how poor Chris Paul's season was for a lot of the year, Bridges, Aiton, Cam Johnson, those guys did not really take the steps forward in terms of being reliable number twos. And Booker was just there the whole time. Most efficient season of his career, taking 8.4 threes per game to punish the defense that way, getting to the free throw line the most he ever has, more, most assists per game since Chris Paul got there with almost eight. And uh, yeah, just uh, eight per 100 possessions, sorry. Um, that is all... In, uh, feathers in his cap and again 28 points per game the most that he's had in his career so um, yeah 53 games played is a knock for him but I just think when he was on the court this year he was one of the six best guards in the league I don't think you're wrong to say that and I, I think if he had gotten a 55 I, I think I would have had him there it was just the 53 yeah. games it's just the 53 games thing like I know that's like two games is like a very arbitrary reason but I think Steph was probably like another level um, and I think just the like I fifty three just doesn't feel like totally enough for me for for this. This is all yeah. I will say. This is collectively a year where like games played, load management stuff is like a very big hindrance to a lot of these different things. Like there's very few guys that have played just like a, a, a most of these games. Like I mean, Jokic and Embiid. We talked about that. Like how many those guys are probably going to finish one two in MVP and look like there was like sixty nine and sixty six games respectively. Like. Guys are missing time, and like that, I, 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 part of the reason I honestly like wanted to to give De'Aaron Fox some love in this is a, I think he's just been great. He's been the most clutch player in the entire league all season statistically. Seventy-two out of a possible eighty-two games, the Kings did not load manage really at all in a way that I kind of love, and he's just been like kind of lights out all year. And I, 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 you know, maybe two Kings is like a step too far for kind of rewarding some of this, but I, I felt he was very deserving. Did you did you have any other thoughts about about centers and forwards on third team? Because I had two other names that I thought about, but I couldn't quite get there. I did real quick on games played. So I always think of 2017-18. Steph Curry made third team with fifty one games played. I know that's the Warriors. That's the peak of their dynasty. It, There's it's, a tendency it's, you want to reward just that. It's just it's, Steph. it's like yeah, it's Steph. But I do feel like that. To me, I always kind of think of fifty. If you're excellent and you play more than 50 games, I'm going to at least consider you. And so that's part of why I did what I did with Booker. But you're right. Fox has that case. I'm curious if his jumper luck keeps up in the playoffs. That's one of the big subplots that we didn't really talk about with the postseason. He's a first timer. So that'll be kind of interesting and fun to look at. But I thought of Anthony Davis here. Yep. That's that's one of my ones. That's one and of I two. thought of Jaron Jackson Jr. here um, was, was and Larry Markinen. Those are my three. So um, Davis would have had to be a center. The other two would have been forwards. The, I think Lowry, I think, I think all those guys are worthy. And the other one that I would throw out there is I think, I do think Bam, I think Bam like isn't quite there, but I think like a very deserving center candidate, like in another year where the heat are a little bit better. I, I think he's absolutely kind of in, in that running as well. Um, but really, he's really never good. made an all NBA team, but like, he, you know, it's very funny that Andre Drummond has made one. Donovan Mitchell hasn't made one either. This yeah, will be Mitchell's first. Funny. This will be he's going to be first team. That was the same thing that happened to Booker. He hasn't. He only has one All NBA team on his docket, and it's a first team last year. Like okay. guard is guard is very hard, and like it's, I think it might even get harder with the positionless stuff. Like 
you know, like Darius, like I think like Garland and Brunson both should have like been like a, maybe a tier below, not a tier, but like a little step behind some of the guys that we talked about at guard. But both had these really excellent seasons in different ways. And it's just like they're, they're not even going to get close. But both of them like very deserving, I think, of being in that running. And there's other guys you could you could flip through it, you know, in terms of like some of the best players in the league. Like, you know, like Dame might not make it and he's having just like this utterly insane season, right? Like, like it, yeah. it's just like, I just it's just like he can't get there. I get it. I think that they were like 25 and 31 or 28 and 31 with Lillard this year and so that was part of why I couldn't reward him. <laughs> LeBron only played 55 games here, which is another thing we should mention. He's on that cusp as well, but yeah. the Lakers were 30 and 25 with him and the advanced stats show he was just incredibly valuable when he was out there and then of course the production is usual LeBron. If Anthony Davis had not had if he had <coughs> even had, you know, 5 to 10 more games played and even the games that he did play not being he just had those two with the, each of the injuries, the two ramp ups that he had to have. And then, you know, he by the time, you know, five, 10 games after his injuries, he was at peak Anthony Davis again. But that ebb and flow of his season, I just I couldn't get all the way there in terms of value and consistency and whatever, especially when you're comparing him to Sabonis, who just was, uh, you know, about as steady and consistent as anybody in the entire league for a team that won more than the Lakers and, you know won close games and all the stuff that you would want to see in a player. So I, I, if anyone, if Sabonis doesn't get there, I do think that would be a huge bummer. I like the Kings need to be rewarded in the same way that, that the Knicks do with Randall. Yeah. And I think Cleveland should be in there as well. I think the Thunder with Shea should be in there as well. Like I think all these teams deserve a lot of love and there's guys that should have gripes about not making it. I don't think like that's, that's even a question, but it's just, this is, we're, we're picking it. So this is really Only hard. 15. Only 15. Uh, Brendan, well, I think we will end there. As yeah. a tease for the, the, our second episode this week that will come out on Wednesday, we're going to do the all-just basketball first team. So guys we just love that we think exemplify this season. We're going to do our biggest maybe of the year. That includes, uh, there's a certain, there's three players I think that really exemplify this. And one I'm really, really excited to talk about because I cannot wait to see him back next year. That's a little tease for you. And then the NBA person who gave us the most content. We did. We kind of did this one already, to be honest. Yeah, but like there, but there's we'll like there's there there's there's more. There's like more in the dirt that we can really <laughs> just we can get into the muck on all of that. It's going to be a ton yeah. of fun. If you have nominations, tweet us, talk about us on TikTok, all that good stuff. Thanks again to Dylan Heiser and Jake Stevens for producing. Again, follow us at Just Bball Fans on TikTok at Just Basketball Show on Instagram. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brendan Clean back at John on Wednesday after we get some fun playing basketball. The good stuff is here, folks. Subscribe, tap in, let's talk about it.